Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Positive Talk Podcast with co-hosts Julie Homridge and Chuck Allen. They are in Season 2, Merging Faith and Psychology, and you picked a great day to join in the conversation. At Positive Talk Podcast, a licensed therapist and a pastor join voices to help us all discover a more peaceful and purpose-filled life. So settle in and join Julie and Chuck for this week's episode of the Positive Talk Podcast. Hi, everybody. It's a great day to find an encouraging, positive word here at the Positive Talk Podcast. And thanks so much for the introduction. That's always so kind. Last week, Julie, we kind of jumped off the high dive and started dealing with adult emotional meltdown. Mm -hmm. And I actually went back and listened to this podcast. I mean, normally we record and then we kind of move on to the next content creation, right? But I went back and listened to this two times over the past week and thought to myself, you know, if, if, if that wasn't my voice I was listening to, I definitely needed to hear it, Mm, (laughs) you know? So, uh, this week though, let's take a little different perspective on meltdowns and get specific about children, our children, and meltdowns. Right. I've never known a family that didn't have children that melted down. At some point, That's yes, right. in yeah. some capacity. Um, so I guess you could, maybe we need to define meltdowns a little better. A, a tantrum, a rage, uh, out of control. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know how you really want to define it, but no matter what you call them, they can be some of the most challenging parts of our parenting. Yeah. So we've all been there. In the moment when your child has a meltdown, and it truly is hard to know what to do. They right. they don't come with a Google, you know, answer. You feel like all to, eyes are on you yeah, and there's all this pressure. Absolutely. This, right? it, it is so hard to know what to do, in particular when you're in public and you now contend with the public scrutiny. My favorite is um, parents uh-huh. of preschoolers, like like infants. Yeah. My child will never... Do that. Never do that. Yeah. Well, all just of the wait. Nevers. The twos are coming. <laughs> yeah, that is so true. All the things that we we determine about parenting before yeah. we are a parent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was um, I was at in a grocery store one time, and one of my children was having a meltdown. Yep. And this this kind little old guy came up to me, and he kind of nudges me, and he's like, "They always hit you right where it hurts, right?" And I was like, "What? <laughs> where?" And he was like. In public. public. And I'm like, yes. Yeah. And yeah. in that moment, there's that extra pressure, yeah. right? We, one of our daughters, we were at a uh, mall outside of Washington, D.C., and uh, my wife's mom was with us. And uh, our daughter, we, we were in a candy store. Yeah. Oh. Which is just Prime meltdown death location. on a stick, right? Yeah. And so she just went into like full-fledged, lay-on-the-floor slobber out of her mouth mm-hmm, meltdown. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I'll never forget my mother-in-law walked over to her and said, Hey, sweetie, we're going to head down the mall. (laughs) And when you're done, just know there's probably no candy at the end of this. But we'll be down the mall and you'll find us. You see, I'm wearing a red sweater. And then looked at us and said, let's go. What did you and Jenny do? We were just so dumbfounded. It was like, <laughs> or, like I wanted to, I wanted to spank the crap out of her. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Jenny is like, oh, poor thing. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And Charlotte, my mother-in-law, is like, we're just going to take a walk down we're the mall when you're take done. A walk down and you know what? Mall. It was interesting. Her her thought worked. 
her thought worked. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was seconds. Well, she wasn't, she wasn't going to match the intensity. Right. right? Because that's, that's my inclination. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so as a therapist, but also as a mother of two very bright and sometimes quirky young kids, I feel like I can address this topic from a clinical perspective and many, many yeah, I'll personal bet. I'll bet. Yeah. experiences. Um, I have much practice in this. And so I'm just grateful to be able to offer um, that here, hopefully, to our listeners to help others navigate this emotionally charged topic. Yeah. Um, so I want to start by reminding our listeners that as we like to say here um, often on the Positive Talk podcast, being positive isn't about avoiding the struggle. It's about finding ways to redeem it. So, good. so similarly, learning how to support your child in meltdowns, it isn't about avoiding meltdowns completely. It's about taking each experience and allowing it to teach you more about yourself, mm-hmm. your own responses, and your child's specific needs. So the skills we will discuss today are... Uh, centered in a form of parenting called positive parenting. So it's philosophically based on the idea that empathy, problem solving, and using positive interactions with your children are much more effective solutions than repeated yelling or punitive punishment. Right. So more often than not, utilizing positive parenting helps us all leave the table feeling empowered and connected versus stressed and resentful. Even Ooh. after meltdowns. Yeah, yeah. So uh, several phrases you use that I think are worth highlighting for our listeners. One is uh, your child's specific needs. Yes. Like a meltdown is not, while it may be universal, the kind and uh, degree mm-hmm. and length of Frequency, meltdowns. Frequency, duration. Yeah, that's all yeah. unique to the child right. and the family unit. And their right? special, yeah, their particular needs. Yeah, so we can't, in other words, I have six daughters. We mm. could not We could not parent all God six bless the same you. way. Six daughters, yeah. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. what in the world? So, <laughs> but then the second thought is positive parenting. Yeah. So I think sometimes, uh, it, depending on how you were parented. Right. There are times when you hear positive parenting Mm -hmm. and you think to yourself, okay, this is like putting a daisy at the end of a rifle. Yes, which is can't be anything further from the truth in terms of of positive parenting. Because this gets me to the the next statement you made, which is, isn't our desire to have an effective solution? Right. Like not, not to win the war. Right. But to have an effective solution. And not to do nothing either, right? right? This isn't about being permissive parents. Right. It's about um, what we'll talk about a little bit later in terms of boundary setting and things like that. Which leads to the the last phrase that you mentioned was empowered and connected, Mm -hmm. which feels like it takes a lot more courage. It does, on the front end. To positive parent. Yes. Especially for a dad, I think. Yeah. You know, I mean... Uh, I, I'm not really sure what the science says, and someday we'll talk about this, Julia, but the difference in how mothers and fathers parent, you mm-hmm. know, there, there is a unique difference. Yeah. But for a dad to accept mm-hmm. that my real desire is a more effective solution yeah. to empower my child and to be connected to my child. Mm-hmm. So as a result, I would say to dads that are listening, this may not sound like it's for you, mm-hmm. but it is definitely for you. Definitely yeah. for you. Yeah. And it's strategy, right? right? Like right, it's, right. it's a strategic approach that, you know, you have to be flexible in the moment when you implement it, but having a, a plan, I think yeah. can be really helpful um, for dads and moms alike. So what, what does, and 
I, I, I've seen plenty of meltdowns in, in my family. And I, w I would imagine as a child, I was a really good meltdowner. You <laughs> I'm know? sure I was too. I mean, I bet I was good at it. But from a therapeutic perspective, mm -hmm. from a professional perspective, what does a meltdown in a little boy or little girl, what does it look like? What does it look like? Yeah, how would we identify it? So a meltdown can take on many forms, but oftentimes we see children expressing it through forms of emotional dysregulation, so their emotions are not regulated, and... There are resulting behaviors from that emotional dysregulation that society deems undesirable mm. as a whole. Now, I think what happens is that during and, and following a meltdown, we oftentimes get so focused on those undesirable behaviors that we neglect to see the reasoning behind the behavior. Mm -hmm. So when a child is having a, tr a true meltdown, um, their actual nervous system is dysregulated. And so this leads them to get kind of stuck in either a state of chaos, which is the yelling, real anxious, um, perhaps there's some screaming. My favorite is the toddler arch, when you try to pick Ooh. them up and they arch yeah. their oh, back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, or rigidity, and that actually might be more along the, the lines of the arch, which is kind of digging in their heels. Maybe they're frozen with a deer in headlights look or demanding things a certain way. Mm -hmm. Now, if the child is lucky, and I say this kind of facetiously, they'll show this dysregulation in more socially acceptable forms like anxiety or crying or mm -hmm. whining. You know, we tend to want to comfort kids mm -hmm. that That's seem right. scared, right? But if they're unlucky, they'll show that they are struggling through non-socially acceptable ways like yelling or punching mm -hmm. and things that we would deem acting out. Right. But I, I want to be clear, and I think that this is really important to, to emphasize here, behavior is communication. And mm. these kids that are acting out, they are struggling with nervous system dysregulation as well. So I think it was a paradigm shifter for me, both personally and clinically, to realize that in many instances, your child or my child isn't giving you a hard time, they are having a hard time. Yeah, hence the nervous system dysregulation. So it's it's really just manifesting itself in an right. outward... In a behavior. Physically, whatever, mm -hmm. right? And in the middle of that, I think it is really, really great to see behavior mm -hmm. as communication yes. rather than behavior as... Manipulation wow, you're just a all the bad time. kid. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. but you're 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 trying to communicate something to me that your brain isn't yet developed enough to communicate. Exactly. Therefore, it's like a baby. I'm hungry. I cry. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, a a five year old can do the same thing. Yeah. But you absolutely. hope at fifty five, that's not <laughs> right. Have you ever seen an adult like yeah. tantrum? Yeah. So your child isn't giving you a hard time. It's not like they woke up and decided, okay. I'm I'm going to ruin. I'm going to make mom. life miserable for yeah. my parents. So today. I heard this story from uh, a, a group in our church some some years ago, and a, a young mom said, "My child is trying to ruin <laughs> my life." <laughs> what a sophisticated child! Uh, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> wow. No, it got better. It got better. So the table host, uh -huh. which is an older mom, yeah, uh, says, "Well, how old is your little boy?" Uh -huh. She says. Four. Four. <laughs> and, but as a parent, yeah. in, in fairness to mom, yeah. 
with enough meltdowns, you can feel that way. You can feel that way, yeah. And I would say in that moment, wow, you're sure giving your child a lot of power. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> including a lot of credit. Yeah, a yeah. lot of credit. So, so what are the common ages for meltdowns? Like I've heard you mm-hmm. say that there are common ages for divorce, mm-hmm. you know, based on tenure. Right, right there. Mm-hmm. Different stages in a marriage. Yeah, so what are the common ages for meltdowns? to occur in children most regularly. Yeah. So usually from about 12 months to four years old is when children will have the regular mm-hmm. meltdowns. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oftentimes when a child begins to learn how to communicate their needs more clearly, they don't have meltdowns as often. Mm-hmm. Now, if a child is continuing to have daily meltdowns and tantrums after about age five or six, it may be time to assess if they are having some additional sensory challenges mm-hmm. or maybe they mm-hmm. need additional support in that. area. Um, But yes, meltdowns are a normal part of development. Mm -hmm. I think that's that's important to state. And the only way to avoid meltdowns completely is to potentially stunt your child's emotional awareness and development by attempting to shut them down right away every time. Okay. This, in fairness, as a young dad, that's what I did. I've done it before too. Yeah. Absolutely. Because we're thinking we got to get somewhere or there's people around or all of these different reasons yeah. why we just want the behavior to stop. You know, when I think this happens most frequently, mm-hmm. at least in my circles. On the oh, way when, to church? Yeah. <laughs> is that, yeah. Absolutely. On the yeah. way to church. Yeah. Right. Because it is like. Get your get, happy get face the on. Car. And <laughs> by God, we're going to have fun yeah. when we get there, and you're going to look like you're happy, yeah. or I'm going to beat your rear end. Well, I mean, and I mean, without the beat your rear end part, we've probably said you know similar things like, okay, it's time, get in the car. Yeah, you know, right? Yeah. So, um, so I, I look at this and I think to myself, let don't we all want our children to have a healthy emotional awareness? Mm-hmm. It feels like, and you're, you'd have to be the expert on this, so I'm literally asking a question now, which is um, when, we, when we think we're trying to solve what appears to be an ugly mess, yeah. sometimes we literally don't allow them to go through it. Therefore, they remain at that state emotionally yeah. and don't mature through it. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. Chuck, you got a little PhD over Look here. At that. <laughs> Look at I, that. I know. Your little pastor's growing up. <laughs> well, that's true. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that um, later in the podcast. But I think, you know, some people often, or they might find it helpful to distinguish between meltdowns and tantrums. Mm. Um, I think there can be a little bit of a difference. Both are developmentally appropriate in the early years, but a meltdown is when a child's actual nervous system is so dysregulated that they cannot soothe themselves in that moment. Um, It usually occurs from sensory input, um, being overstimulated, or maybe fear or anxiety. Now, a tantrum is more of when a child just doesn't get what they want, and so they are making it known loud Mm -hmm. and clear Mm -hmm. that they are unhappy about it. But they can feel similar, right? They feel similar. And the good news is that the approach that we're going to share today can be utilized with both. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's an important distinction, though, because sometimes parents think that any sign of protest in a child is willful, mm-hmm. but when that child is having that meltdown, they need to be soothed and regulated, not 
punished and ignored. Okay. Mm. So they have, we all have nervous systems. Children's nervous systems are a little bit more fragile. And what happens is in the early years, they actually need in those moments to kind of borrow the adult's nervous system for a moment, to kind of borrow their calm through soothing behaviors, like getting on the child's level, talking in a low and soothing tone. And you mentioned dads versus moms earlier. A lot of times dad's voices in and of themselves are louder and, you know, more booming. And so they have to make a little bit more of a conscious effort to get into this state to help their children. I can personally attest to that. Like Mm -hmm. my voice can be really bold, Uh you know? Um, And it's, it's kind of like we were talking before we were on air, which is um, early on in my ministry, it was working with children a lot. So if you have 50 children in a room, if you want them to get quiet, the worst way to do that is to scream. Get louder. Yeah. And the fastest way to do that is to talk more softly. Yeah. Which seems so opposite of what we know to do. Yeah. Well, and I think for many of us, when, a, you know, this, this whole nervous system connection goes both ways. So when our children are getting worked up, there is a temptation for us to get worked up as well. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. But the last thing a child in a meltdown needs is a parent having their own. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, the child already feels unsafe in their own body. So. I do feel like you're preaching a little bit to me on that one. Oh, that, my gosh. we all stepped on my toes a little bit. We all, we've all been there. Yeah. Every yeah. single parent. Um, I really do want to emphasize that because we're giving information here from a place of experience right. and not from a place of, you know, looking down or anything of that nature. Um, So, you know, when the child is going through this um, and let's say that a parent has kind of lost their own (laughs) emotional Mm -hmm. regulation, um, then sometimes that leads a child to either communicate louder as a plea for help. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this. Sometimes when you try to shut your kid down, they just... They just escalate, Um, or the child might shut down completely as a defense mechanism, where they just completely stop. We have Um, we have a daughter that did that very thing. mm -hmm. Like the more intense I got. She didn't ramp it up. She just literally shut shut down. down. Yeah. Yeah. And I think sometimes in the early years when that happens, and you know we kind of get more intense, and then a child shuts down. Sometimes we think, oh great, like they stopped. You know, the behavior stopped. They completely stopped communicating, but as they get older, we actually don't want that, right? I mean, parents of teens, you know, you might be with me here. We don't want our child to, in the midst of difficulty, completely stop communicating. Nothing's healthy about that. Yeah, we want them to learn to move through the difficulty with healthy communication. Yeah. So uh, here's the question then. What happens when a child is having this massive meltdown and they're doing things that could be hurtful. Now, let me take it, you know, not just to themselves, but hurtful to others. Things like, okay, your child's kicking. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite is hitting or biting. Yeah, yeah. Those right? are classic classics in the meltdown. And we're going to talk more about boundaries in a minute. But the first boundary that a lot of times people need to set is just a, a spatial boundary, a boundary of right. space. Um, you know, reminding the child that they're safe mm-hmm. um, is the first step. But just like they need to be safe, so does everyone else, yeah, including right. the parent, which means right. you're not allowing a child to, to hit you. Um, a child who hits or kicks or otherwise acts in a harmful way, um, it's because they feel 
internally out of control. Right. Um, and not only that, but many times children are just beginning to learn how to use their bodies. So they're kind yeah. of like, oh, I can use my hand to do this. Like right? here's a bad example. But you know when a, when an infant realizes their finger fits in their nose? Yeah, <laughs> they're going to they explore. can't stop it, right? Yeah, exactly. But I think this is what happens when a child's acting out with, with physical hitting mm-hmm, or biting or whatever mm-hmm. it may be. They, they're trying to figure out, what do I do with all this? Right, right. And sometimes as parents, we look at that and we pathologize it as like, my kid is so bad. And it's right. like, your kid is, is learning. Right, right yeah, now, yeah, yeah. you yeah. need to set the boundaries to help them. Um, you could say something like, you know, I noticed you're having some big feelings, and it seems like you're out of control. But I am here. I am in control, and yeah. I'm here to help yeah. you. Um, this is where we are able to teach them how to self-regulate. Um, I think it's very different than the whole. You know, you better quit your crying before I give you something to cry about. Let me tell you something. If I had a five dollar bill. For every time my parents used that line, you better mm-hmm. quit your crime before I really give you something to cry about. Yeah, I think it's a generational thing, too. Like, you know how my dad dealt with this uh, dysregulation? Hmm. He w- if we were in the car, I don't know how he could reach me. Mm-hmm. He's got go-go gadget arms go in those moments. with his right hand. Uh-huh. And, I mean, literally, it would hurt. Uh-huh. But that's how he dealt with that dysregulation mm-hmm. in my life. Mm-hmm. You know what? I look back now and I think, oh my gosh, Julie, I need to set an appointment with you this week. <laughs> you turned out pretty well, Jack. <laughs> but you know, I think that for many of us, you know, we we don't know any better because that's right. how we were raised. Right. When you know better, you you do better, that's right? right? Yeah. And that's just what this is about, is all of us learning together. And so, you know, that iron fist approach, it might stop behavior temporarily, but it can also cause a little bit of damage to the relationship in the meantime. Absolutely. And children learn how, we all say, I want my child to learn how to self-regulate. I want them to learn how to calm themselves down. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? They learn that from first co-regulating with us, their parents and their caregivers. Okay. So co-regulating in in simplest terms is mm-hmm. really just trying to model. Model, yes. We all have mirror neurons in our brain yeah. that pick up on what somebody else is doing. So when when a child is in a state of emotional dysregulation and they see a parent come in and, you know, calmly slowly, yeah. you know, set, you know, validate what they're going through, mm-hmm. set a boundary of what is and isn't okay, they start to learn how to do that for themselves. Yeah. So you, for those of you that are listening that are grandparents, mm-hmm. your children may be adults, mm-hmm. uh, this, is so Im- this is so impactful in parenting adult children. Yeah. Because I really do feel like this mirror neuron concept mm-hmm. is so actionable. Yeah. With an adult. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other day, mm-hmm. I've, I've got an adult child who's going through a job change. Okay. Significant stress. Yeah. And kind of having an adult child meltdown. Mm-hmm. And uh, because I knew this was our conversation, mm-hmm. I it became, I was aware. Right. Uh, I wanted to act and react in a way that would allow them to learn how to self-soothe, if you yes. will, and self-regulate. Yes, it's a lifelong process. Yeah. And so I literally had to say... I, first, I, w- I want you to hear me say I really understand why this is so stressful mm-hmm, for you. Mm-hmm. Now, let's talk about it. And when in parenting adults, I feel like some of this is stop giving them the answers. Yeah, start asking the right questions. Right, yeah. yeah. And so it, I think it, this is true across every age of parenting. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. it yeah. really is. And keeping that relationship intact yeah. is the most important thing because if we consistently break the bond in that relationship by punitive punishment or ignoring our child, we are taking away the very thing that that relationship that will help them learn how to self soothe in the future. Right. Um, so you know that's why I tell parents and myself in those moments, uh, those stressful moments, those meltdown moments, um, don't be a thermostat be a thermometer. Right, and right. what I mean by that is don't react to the heat that your child is bringing. Respond and try to set the temperature in the environment Absolutely. around you. Absolutely. This is, this is kind of parenting 101, I know, but the six, six daughters taught me this major aha. Stay calm. Yeah. Above all it's else. It's hard, stay, isn't it? Oh, my goodness. I failed Feels so miserably. Feels impossible, impossible yeah, at times. But the truth behind it is, again... Uh, at the end of the meltdown, what you want is another step toward self-regulation, uh-huh. another step toward healthy relationships, right. and another step toward your child being emotionally healthy. Yes. So with that in mind, then the answer is, at all cost, by whatever means necessary, mm-hmm. stay calm. Because there is zero, no helping your child to stay calm when we are not calm ourselves. Right. So right. just breathe. Yeah. Well, you know, when kids go into meltdown mode or adults, we've talked about this a lot. Um, Their brains go into fight, flight, or freeze. Um, What we can do to really simplify it is stop, drop, and breathe. Oh, that's good. (laughs) Okay. So we can't help them. Like you said, we can't help them problem solve if we are in a reactive mode ourselves. Um, So barring a safety issue, like running out in the street, um, whatever task is at hand, if it's bath time, which is a common meltdown mm-hmm. in our house, um, it can be paused for a moment. That's that stop and drop. You know, okay, I need a second, you know, for both parties to regain their wits about themselves to breathe and move forward without a power struggle. Yeah, yeah. Um, so some real practical tips. Next time this happens, you could try this. Try to sit below eye level mm. with your child with a relaxed posture and lower your tone of voice. Now, what happens here is that this activates a different neural network in the brain than towering above and yelling in both our brains and theirs. Right, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, both it's, ways. It's a connective piece. Um, and it's very interesting. Research shows that repeated experiences of feeling safe in childhood actually soothes our brain and wires it in a way that builds this part of the brain called the middle prefrontal cortex, which is the part of the brain that helps us grow insight and empathy, and executive functioning skills, and communication and flexibility. And these are traits we all want our children to develop. Absolutely. The, this concept, though, Julie, is... Um, so, again, another question. So, from a pastoral perspective, I would look at this and say, this, this doesn't work if you respond this way one time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Consistency here is a big mm-hmm. issue, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's almost more harmful... It'll surprise your kid. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and that's the basis of attachment. We learn in the clinical world that consistency is the basis of of good attachment, which creates, you know, healthy relationships. So it is a thing, you know, in Christian circles about how we quote discipline, end quote. Mm -hmm. But uh, to to wrap our head around this, you know, if you think about discipleship and discipline, Mm -hmm. both are about teaching. Teaching, yeah. Teaching and learning. Mm -hmm. So what are some ways that we can utilize these kind of experiences, which nobody enjoys, but, no, but they are a reality? Yeah, it's hard. Um, 
how do we utilize these experiences to teach our children? So like, like here's the thought. So instead of asking your child to calm down, which usually sounds like, calm down, right? <laughs> which they're like, I've done that to my kid before, and my very <laughs> astute nine-year-old is like, sounds like you're not super calm right now, Mom. Which will really help your calmness, <laughs> yeah. right? So, um, but what, what, if in, what if we looked at it a little differently mm-hmm. and said, you know, uh, I see you're having a really difficult time. I really want to help you out mm-hmm. with that. Mm-hmm. That, that can be so frustrating i know mm-hmm. come on let's just figure it out together yeah so this was one that i learned from a, a, a an older wiser mom mm-hmm. that i had to learn to do with my second daughter okay and that was tell you what grab my hand and squeeze it as hard as mm-hmm. you can so if you only squeeze it a little bit you're not frustrated or angry much but if you squeeze it super really hard, hard yeah. let me hold that with you. Mm-hmm. It sounds so hokey, I know. No, it's actually based in neuroscience because uh, we carry a lot of our stress in our bodies. Yeah. And so being able to release that with those types of behaviors are really, really helpful. That's comforting to know I did something right. <laughs> it's not hokey. But, but you know what? In her case, it was almost instant gratification that I, it was like I passed it on to my dad. Yeah. You know, so, so I would just say for the person, uh, the parent that's listening right now, that's saying, okay, all of this is just too ethereal for me. You just don't know my kid. You don't know mm-hmm. our family dynamic. Mm-hmm. I would say my family was as dysfunctional as anybody listening. Mm-hmm. But these prove so true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and depending on your child and your child's temperament mm-hmm. and your child's specific neurological wiring, some of these things can be adapted, but the yeah. base yeah. is the same. Um, some children may be more sensitive, so their triggers may be a little bit more more salient. Um, but that core basis of connecting um, and providing that emotional support um, is is relevant across the board. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of that, <clears throat> we do have to set boundaries right, at times, right? right? Um, but we connect before we correct. I love it. So only after we've connected, then it's time to set those appropriate boundaries. So I want to say that again, whether it's a meltdown or a tantrum, connect before you correct. Yeah. And here's why. Again, when a child has a meltdown, their brain, <clears throat> there's, their brain is scanning the environment. It's looking for a sense of safety. Um, as a young child, their relationship with you provides that. I love that that story you told about uh, connecting with your daughter because you were a safe person to her, right? right? Um, now, children's brains can better process what you have to say in your correction mm-hmm. after you've connected with them. The great thing about this, Chuck, is that when you practice this with your kids, this becomes a pattern that they will start to practice with themselves. So as they get older, they start to internalize this skill. This Mm. is what helps them learn how to soothe themselves, connect with their inner voice, and become more self-directed. So, you know, I know a lot of people that come into my office, and I've struggled with this as well at times, we have a really negative self talk, right? Absolutely. Um, Whenever anything comes up, we immediately start correcting ourselves. Right. A lot of times that can come from um, not being able to know how to connect with yourself first. Yeah. yeah. So when we do this with our kids, um, we're teaching them how to be a little bit more compassionate with themselves. So it starts with caregivers modeling this. And I think this quote is so fascinating. Um, The way that we speak to our children becomes their inner voice. So uh, I, I resonate with this statement so much. So my dad was the king 
of negative self-talk. Mm-hmm. So it, the slightest thing could go wrong, mm-hmm. and he he would almost suck the air out of the room mm-hmm. in his uh, degrading, demeaning self-talk. You know, I can himself, I can yeah. still hear my dad saying, "You're such an idiot," oh, talking to himself. Yeah. You know? Okay. Here's here's the really odd part about it is, even at sixty two. Mm-hmm. As much as I've worked on this, mm-hmm. I mean, both just therapy and just self-regulation, mm-hmm. I still have moments mm-hmm. where in my frustration, mm-hmm. in my adult meltdown, mm-hmm. my natural tendency is because the way that my dad spoke to his son, me, mm-hmm. became my inner voice. Mm-hmm. And I will immediately go into, Chuck, you're just such an idiot. Mm-hmm. And I have to stop and realize, okay, but that's not true. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to speak now too to parents who might be hearing this and thinking, oh no, what have I put into my child's mind, right? Like what are they going to be doing for the rest of their life? Yeah, the things that yeah, I've said have yeah. been hurtful. Guess what? Along with those things, when you come back to your child and you apologize to them oh and you show them that it's okay to yeah, make mistakes, yeah. they start to internalize to themselves, okay, it's okay for me to make mistakes yeah, too. Yeah. My older daughter, Amy Julie, one time, she uh, I was in one of those moments as a young parent where I was modeling my dad's behavior. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget, I mean, she, she was the adult in the room mm-hmm. and probably about nine or 10 maybe. Yeah. And literally came over and hugged me mm. and was just like, but daddy. Yeah. And I, I just remember thinking then, okay, wow, my child just parented me. <laughs> yeah. And she learned that somewhere. Right. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I just do think there's something wonderful about how we are both growing emotionally, mm-hmm. parent and child. Yeah. Constantly. To your point, uh, I would never want a listener to think, okay, Chuck, you occasionally do that. Therefore, there's no escaping it. I would say, I've come light years. Right. Well, and it's a lifelong process. I think it normalizes the fact that there are going to be times where we get back into old patterns of thinking. All of us do. Um, And so to be able to give yourself grace, even in those moments when you start to go back into those old patterns of thinking, um, I think that's really important. Here's a question for the therapist. Ready? (laughs) Ready. Julie loves it when I go completely off script. (laughs) Rogue. Um, So when, when somebody's been a smoker since they were... 15. Mm-hmm. Uh, no doctor says, yeah, you've been smoking for 20 years, just keep smoking. Right. Nobody says that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because science has proven you can stop and you can actually reverse yes. some of it. Mm-hmm. I think parenting is that way. Same correct? way. Absolutely. Yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, as we're learning to become comfortable with our own emotions, then we are able to be more comfortable with our children's display of emotions. Then we're able to allow the emotion to kind of run its course while setting appropriate behavior boundaries. So in these moments, we're not trying to get our kids to just stop crying right away. We're trying to teach them that they can learn um, to both feel their emotions and act in ways that aren't hurtful from it. So when we immediately try to squash it and shut down those emotions, we inadvertently teach children that these emotions are something to be feared, that they're so powerful Mm -hmm. and so chaotic that they're just going to overrule us, right? But instead, we want to teach them how to let emotions have their proper place 
in their lives. Um, We can teach our children that they can feel sad without feeling despair, or they can feel anger without Mm -hmm. acting in a rage. Mm -hmm. Um, There might be times where they feel temporarily envious without tearing another person down out of jealousy. I think sometimes, especially in faith environments, we teach children to avoid the emotion instead of teaching them how to let it inform them. Oh, that's good. Um, This can be, you know, doing them a disservice um, unintentionally because there's so much opportunity for connection with parents and with God in these moments. You know, if a child's sad, maybe you, you know, teach them how to kind of grieve that loss and release that Mm -hmm. to Jesus. Um, If they're angry, you know, this is an identifier that they feel like something was unjust. Mm -hmm. They can learn how to communicate their need. Um, if they're jealous, you know, this is this was so interesting to me when I started studying about jealousy. Jealousy can be an indicator in uh, for us that there's an area in our lives or our calling of untapped potential. Yeah. Um, so when we allow God to enter into the emotion instead of avoiding it, He can show us the purpose of it. Um, and then we become people who live fully alive to all parts of us. Yeah, so in my, in my pastoral work, I would say there's so much power in what you just described by allowing by allowing ourselves to step into this mm-hmm. and literally inviting the Lord to go before us in this. Yeah. Then we are also developing our children spiritually. Yeah, well God is God has emotions. We're yeah. created in his image. That's right. So so but but I think it is healthy to keep in mind that by helping our children work through some of their more difficult times, mm-hmm. we are giving them confidence internally mm-hmm. to express themselves in healthy ways. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't happen by avoiding at all. No. We're just elongating. Right. Right. And so and teaching them how to be able to deal with these situations when when they aren't with you is one of the big deals. Like mm-hmm. preparing a child for when they're going to have the eventual meltdown at school. Right. Right. Well, and you know, in grad school, I had a therapist. I was a, a bit perfectionistic in grad school. That's a surprise Shocking. to you, Chuck, isn't it? And in my internship, she just sat me down and she told me a story about her husband who was taking guitar lessons and he was preparing to go on some kind of tour. And the guitar teacher, you know, he would go in and he would never make mistakes during the lesson time. He did not want to make a mistake. Mm. And the teacher was like, listen, like, if you don't make mistakes now, when you get out there on tour, and you will make a mistake, but you're not going to know how to fix it because yeah, you didn't right. practice it with me. And that's what a lot of this is with mm-hmm. our kids, is really helping them practice how to make mistakes so that they'll know how to handle it when we're not in their presence. I love that. Yeah. So, okay, what's next? I know you know sometimes when we talk about positive parenting, people think, okay, well, you're just going to allow your kid to do whatever. No, of course not. We do validate the emotion that they experience, but it's crucially important to set a boundary Mm -hmm. and provide choices. So emotionally responsive parenting is not about being permissive. Um, Boundaries help kids feel safe. Absolutely. So boundaries are extremely important. Now, how do we do that? Well, especially in the younger years, setting a boundary can be as simple as reminding a child that what they're doing is not for the intended purpose of Mm -hmm. how they're doing it. So for example, you've probably heard people say hands aren't for hitting, right? right? People aren't for hurting. You know, dessert is for after dinner, right? (laughs) Depending on your family rules, right? Right. Then we provide choices. So we can say, you know, hands aren't for hitting. 
you can choose to use your hands to go draw on that paper or give me a high five, right? Yep. Desserts for after yep. dinner. You can choose ice cream or fruit or whatever, um, which to be honest, I never give fruit as a dessert option. Fruit to me is like, that's healthy. Like that's healthy food. That's not dessert. Well, whatever happened in my life, I still don't <laughs> choose dessert. <laughs> You don't choose fruit, no. Yeah, no. Fruit's, no, no, fruit's no. not a Like, not you go on a dessert. cruise and you see people choose cheese trays for dessert. Yeah. You're like, like, have you ever had chocolate pie in yeah. your life? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, sorry. We were off topic. Off there. topic. I, I, I let us there. Now, when you give your child choices, make sure both choices are ones that you, the parent, can tolerate. Ooh. Okay, so you're not going to say you can choose cake or ice cream and then get mad yeah, when you choose yeah. cake. Um, what this does, this process of giving choices, it empowers children to know that although there are things that they cannot do, which is the boundary, they still have a level of autonomy and control in their lives, which is what mm. most tantrums are about Yeah. anyway. Yeah, I like that because part of this is acknowledging their their feeling, the message that their emotions are sending us. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, so it's we a acknowledge that. And sometimes, uh, I. Again, I know this sounds soft, but I think it's courageous mm-hmm. to be able to say, "Hun, I see that you're mad." Right. So, um, can can you tell me what it was that made you so mad? Mm-hmm. I, I know it, that sounds like such soft parenting, but I would argue that's the most courageous parenting out there. Well, that's problem solving because yeah. you're getting all the information. If you don't know what made them mad, right. Right. you don't know how to fix it. If you just immediately try to shut down. The emotion, Mm -hmm. you are missing out on a lot of really important information to help you problem solve. Absolutely. So, you know, I know we'll talk about this more next week, Julie, but I also think part of your communication is to to think proactively, like, okay, for the next meltdown, Mm -hmm. how can we make that better next time? Yes, and we're definitely going to talk about that next week because a lot of meltdowns are pretty predictable. And yet we find ourselves in those moments where, mm-hmm. you know, we're like, why are they melting down before bed again? You're like, wait a second, they've melted down before bed every day for That's the right. past week. Yeah, yeah, right. Let's be proactive this right. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think parenting in this brain-based way, because essentially that's what it is, where it, it means we're working with our God-designed mm-hmm. nervous system, not against it. That's smart. Yeah. That's not so soft. Um, it requires us to, to do something really important. I want to end with this. It requires us to stop worrying about what other people think about our parenting. Okay, 100%. You know, I was in the grocery store one time, and um, one of my children was was having a meltdown. It seems to happen in the grocery store. Probably set a boundary about a toy. Restaurants, grocery stores. Yeah, or some sugary cereal or something. And I remember just, um, you know, feeling feeling hot and feeling like all the eyes were on me and feeling like, oh, my gosh, people are going to think you can't control your child and all of these, like, (laughs) ingrained beliefs that I had about parenting. And I stopped for a second and clear, so clearly got this sense, and and whether it was me telling myself this or, or God telling me this, I heard this, Julie, instead of trying to be seen as a good parent, focus on being the parent your child needs right now. Oh, that's so good. Tuned everyone out, focused on my child, what his needs were. I would probably never see those people again, but whether I respond to my child with connection or control in that moment, Mm -hmm. that will matter much more in the long run. Absolutely. So as we've talked about, Chuck, most of us, both kids and parents, we aren't taught um, necessarily how to regulate our emotions. No. It's not something that we really teach um, in childhood. It's becoming a little bit more common now, but 
a lot of parents and kids struggle with this. So next week, we're going to discuss, we're going to talk about it. We're going to discuss more of the how, yep. um, how to minimize power struggles, because when you set boundaries, power struggles will come. And um, we're also going to talk about what to do if you haven't parented this way in the past, because yes. let's be honest. Many of us haven't, nope. um, but the great news is that it is never too late to begin to support your children and yourself in this way. What a positive way to wrap up the conversation. It is never too late to begin to support your children and yourself in this way. So from Julie and I, thank you for joining us on this week's Positive Talk podcast. This is a place where a psychotherapist and a pastor come together week after week to merge faith and psychology, believing we can all live a far more peace-filled and purposeful life. And we'll be back next week, as Julie talked about, for session two in this next episode, talking about really how do we preempt and how do we recover right. in these meltdowns, because they are going to happen. So remember, you can always find all of season one and season two on the Positive Talk podcast at our website, which is simply positivetalkpodcast.com. And we'd love for you to follow us on Instagram, which is simply at Positive Talk Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. And as always, go in peace. Thanks again for joining us for this week's episode of the Positive Talk Podcast. Julie and Chuck will be back next Thursday with another positive conversation as they merge faith and psychology. Have a great day, and as always, go in peace. <laughs>